Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Uh, so as we, we think about our series, Jesus Builds His Church, aren't you thankful that it's his church, not your church. Now, I don't know about you, I, I would royally mess it up if uh, the church were mine, you know. Uh, I have a hard enough time trying to keep uh, straight as it is. And so, I, you know, and, and in a sense, being the under-shepherd, I have this great responsibility. Don't get me wrong, it's not like I shirk all responsibility for the church because I can't because that's the calling which God has placed upon my life to be his under-shepherd to to be the one that he's using in a local uh, local place called the church. And so, but, but I'm just excited that it's really his and I just get to participate alongside of him in that process of building his church. And, you know, that was a, a bold, dynamic statement that Jesus made, wasn't it? When we looked at that over in Matthew 16, 18, where, where Jesus said, you know, upon Peter's confession, he said, I'm going to build my church, right? I'm going to, I'm going to do something dynamic and significant, and, and I'm going to build a church. And that was the first time the word church is used in the New Testament. It's a new concept to them. And so, so he made this bold statement. And the thing is that I really believe what Hebrews 13.8 says. Hebrews 13.8 says that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And you know, because I believe that, I believe that Jesus is still building his church today. Amen? And I don't know about you, but that's a promise that I want in on. Amen? I want to be a part of a dynamic, growing, Bible-believing, loving church. Amen? That's what I want to be a part of. I want to see God do a work in and through the ministry of a local church that I'm a part of. Amen? That's what I really want to see. And so here, he is giving us, I think, through this series, the foundational principles by which we can see that happen. And we looked at the past couple of weeks, we looked, first of all, that what Jesus does before he does anything else in the church, what he does is he empowers the church. Aren't you thankful that he empowers us, that he has given us the Holy Spirit? And, and oftentimes what we thought as, as a church, and we thought that if we can just, you know, apply the right principles, if we can just mimic what some other church is doing, if we can just call the right pastor, we think that it will be this dynamic, growing, thriving church. But the reality is none of that is even possible. Listen, none of that is even possible without the empowerment of the Holy Spirit of God filling us as individuals, filling the pastor who stands in the pulpit, but filling the people who sit in the pews. Amen. That we cannot accomplish spiritual things in human strength. Spiritual things are spiritually appraised and must be accomplished by the power of the Spirit of God who works in and through us, and there's no substitute for that. No matter how many church principles you try to apply, no matter how many church gurus you bring into your church, you may be able to stir up a crowd, you may be able to stir up some things going on, but let me say, you will not accomplish anything eternal for the kingdom of God without the power of God falling on you. Amen? Amen? You cannot. Do that. And we as Baptists, we don't talk about the Holy Spirit near enough, probably. And so what we ought to be doing is what we finish that sermon on, and that is this. We ought to be praying strategically and asking the Father to fill us with the Holy Spirit of God. Do you remember over when Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount was talking about 
prayer, and he was talking about the, the empowerment of the Spirit. You remember what he said? He said, how many of you, being a good man, a good father, how many of your son asked for fish, would give him a serpent? Or if he asked for an egg, would give him a scorpion? And he finishes up. Do you remember what he said there? He said, if you then being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? You want a filling of the Spirit? Pray and seek a filling of the Spirit. Ephesians 5, don't be drunk with wine, which is in excess, right? But be filled, a command, be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's what we ought to be praying for. So Jesus empowers his church. But then listen, Jesus said, wait until you get this power and then do what? You shall be, you will be my witnesses. What? The the enablement of the Holy Spirit is that you and I will testify to the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the good news of the gospel. Amen? That we will make disciples. And so Jesus, after he empowers the church, listen, then he begins to send forth the church into the world to preach the gospel, to make disciples. And listen to me, that is the primary mission of the church. The primary mission of the church is not to make us comfortable. It is not for us to get what we want. The primary mission of the church is to make disciples. And the starting point of making disciples, listen, is the gospel. We talked about that last week. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you and I want to make disciples, then we have to begin with the gospel. And last week, we gave these little tracks out at the end of your pews. And let me just tell you, there are more that are on the tables out in the foyer. And I encourage you to take one of these. And I told you to pray for somebody for four days and then have the opportunity, hopefully, to share the gospel with them. I don't know how many of y'all did that. I'm not going to ask who did that. But I'm going to tell you, if you didn't do that, listen, don't be discouraged you got four more days in which you can pray and then give it out. Amen? And I'm going to keep saying that week after week after week until we begin to get testimonies of people who are saying, you know what? I prayed and I gave the track or I talked to somebody about Jesus and they got saved. So we're going to keep doing that keep doing that until we start turning that into testimonies of what God is doing through you as you go out. Because listen, evangelism is not, listen, it is not... Yes, I said it again, Marina. Listen, I use that word a lot, I guess. Um, she was talking about that the other day. But anyway, so it is not a, listen, a program in the church. Evangelism is the lifestyle of a believer. And a church that is not on mission with making disciples is disobedient to the great commission of Christ. But the believer who's not sharing their faith, listen, and making disciples is also disobedient to the great commission of Christ. Therefore, we must repent. And we must say, we are going to be a great commission church by intentionally making disciples, by intentionally sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with lost people. And if we're never intentional about that, listen, we won't do it. Amen? We'll never do it. If I'm not intentional about sharing my faith, no one will I ever see, no one or anyone rather, come to know Jesus Christ as Savior. The sad statistic is, I shared it with you last week, I'll share it again. 95% of Southern Baptists will never in their lifetime tell one other person about Jesus Christ. 95%. Let it not be 95% at First Baptist Level Plains. Amen? May that decrease. May we alter that to where we are out sharing our faith, telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ. Because that's our primary mission. Not a program of evangelism, but a lifestyle of evangelism, telling people about the good news of Jesus Christ and then discipling them as they come to faith. Amen? That's what God has called us to do. So the question begins, when Jesus begins to empower, when Jesus begins to send forth the church, what happens? What happens? Well, let me tell you what happens. 
Acts chapter 2. What happens is you have the birth of a church. You have, you have a group of men who are praying in the upper room. And, and by the way, there's some women there too. There, matter of fact, the Bible tells us there was about 120 disciples gathered up together. And what are they doing? Well, they're, they're in a prayer meeting. You know what else they're doing? They're, they're there in unity and in love with one another. And they're in that upper room and they're, and they're spending this time together. And as they're spending this time together, they're, they're waiting upon the Lord. Jesus already told them, you're going to be empowered with the Holy Spirit. So now they're waiting. They're waiting. Ten days later, after Jesus tells them that and he ascends, ten days later, we have what we record in the Bible as Pentecost. And on the day of Pentecost, what happens is the Holy Spirit of God falls down. Amen? The Holy Spirit of God comes down. And listen to me. The Holy Spirit of God fills them. But listen, it's also a baptism of the Spirit because the Spirit had yet been living inside them. Even though they knew what it was going to be like a little bit. Because if you can remember when Jesus sent them out prior. Jesus, before he sent them out prior in the Gospels, he breathed on them and said what? Receive the Holy Spirit. They sort of knew what that ministry was going to look like because they got, had already this little temporary infilling of the Spirit of God as they went out and they began to witness. So even then, Jesus was sending them out in the power of the Spirit to witness. And they came back and gave this glowing report about what had happened. And so now we have what we hear in Acts 1 through 4. We have this Spirit of God coming down. And let's read it. It's a powerful text. Let's read it. He says, And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, Acts 2 verse 1, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly, see, here they are. They're having this prayer meeting. They're having this unified meeting together. And there are 120 of them. They're hanging out together. And then out of nowhere, suddenly, suddenly, the Bible says, suddenly there came a sound from heaven. The Holy Spirit on his way down. Amen. As of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. So the whole house is filled. The, the presence of God comes down in the form of the Holy Spirit. And then it says this. Verse 3. Then there appeared on them divided tongues as of fire. And he says, and one sat on each of them telling us. Listen, true believer. Listen to me. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the Holy Spirit. Amen. The Bible says if you don't have the Spirit. Listen, if you don't have the Spirit, you're not his. So everybody who's a believer has the Holy Spirit of God. So here is this baptism of this group of people, 120 followers. They're in this room. There's this baptism by which the Holy Spirit comes down. And the Holy Spirit goes and he rests on all of them. And then notice something miraculous happens. Through the filling of the Spirit, they begin to do something. Notice what happens. Not the baptism of the Spirit, but the filling of the Spirit. Listen what happens. Then those, verse 3, go again. Then there appeared to them divided tongues of fire as they sat uh, each upon, or excuse me, one sat on each of them. Verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That is that infilling by which we talked about last time. That is that control of the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God coming inside of you and controlling you. Not in the sense that you become uh, a robot, but in the sense that He empowers you, that He enables you, that He gives you the strength and the ability and the power to be able to, to boldly proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. He gives you the authority. Amen? And so here is Jesus telling us that this promise is going to come. He sends forth the Spirit from heaven. The Spirit comes down. And notice as a testimony of the Spirit coming in, notice what happens. Then they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, let me tell you something. 
People get this all out of whack. They say, okay, here's this Pentecostal power coming down. They're baptized in the Spirit and they begin to speak in tongues. That's not what's happening there. The baptism of the Spirit happens. The Spirit comes down and is on top of them. We see this symbol of fire on top of them. That is the baptizing of the Spirit of God. But what happens immediately following the baptism of the Spirit is this infilling of the Spirit by which the Spirit gives them the power and the authority and the strength to be able to testify to the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result of that, a supernatural thing happens. What is that? They begin to speak in tongues. And that word means glossia. It is a word that literally every time it's interpreted in the Bible, it means a language. That is, they're speaking a language. And, and the testimony that is found in the rest of the text it wasn't some gibberish. It wasn't some kind of talk. Where blah, 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 talk. It was a language. And we know that to be the fact that the Holy Spirit empowered them to speak where they did not know literally themselves. Because, the listen, the testimony, read the rest of the verse, says the people were amazed. You know why they were amazed? They said, why are we each hearing, listen to this, the magnificent work of God in our own language. Are these not all, listen to what he's saying, are these not all Galileans? You know what they're saying? We're all hearing the truth of the gospel in our own native tongue. And that is amazing to us because why? They're a bunch of unlearned fishermen. They never went to college to learn Spanish. Who, who taught them how to speak Crete? Who, who taught them how to speak like we do in Phyrigoria? How, how, how is it they can speak in our native tongue? I'm going to tell you how they did it. By the power of the Holy Spirit of God that rested upon them and filled them to proclaim, listen, for the specific purpose of proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ in the native tongue of the people that were in the crowd. <clears throat> That's amazing to me. I mean, doesn't that just not blow your mind? I mean, it's amazing that God would do that. There's more a miracle of hearing than there is a miracle of speaking in tongues. They heard the truth in their own native language. And Peter wasn't done yet. Because you know what that crowd did? If you read the rest of the verses, beginning of verse 5 through verse 41, I'm going to summarize for you. But you know what Peter did? Peter, that, you remember that Peter, right? You remember Peter, the guy that, that denied Jesus three times. You remember Peter who, who with cursing denied Jesus. That, that Peter who, who said he would never deny Jesus denies him. That Peter who said, I'll go to the cross. I'll die with you, Jesus. No, not that, that, that Peter. Yeah, yeah. He, he's dead. That Peter somehow was gone. I don't, I don't know where he went. <laughs> no, I do know where he went. He had a life changed by the power of the Spirit of God inside of him. Let me tell you, that's where he went. And so that, that Peter, full of the Holy Spirit of God, full of the authority of the Word of God, full, full of strength and power, what does he do? He stands up on the day of Pentecost, and he responds to the critics and to those who are marveling. See, the, the ones that are marveling, God is beginning to draw them to himself. God is beginning to do a work in their heart by which he's turning their wicked heart, their cold heart, into a soft, pliable heart by which the seed of the gospel can be preached and planted. And at the end, he could reap the harvest for himself. But then there are those people out there who never want to hear the gospel, right? They're the ones that are criticizing. Oh, these guys are just drunk. You think you're hearing it. You're, they're just gibberishing. That's all they're doing. They're drunk. No, Peter stands up and said, let me tell you, friends, what you're hearing here today is not that we are drunk. But this is, this is a fulfillment of prophecy coming to reality. And then he does something that is so crucial in what I've been saying for the past three weeks. He begins to preach the gospel. Now he does the gospel story in the context of which they can understand. Now understand that these are Jewish people or proselytes. Now what do we mean by that? These are Jewish people who are following God. They're follow, following monotheism. 
They believe that God is the God of Israel. And so they already have some background belief in the Old Testament. So what does he do? He starts with an Old Testament con, uh, context and begins to help them to, to understand how in that Old Testament context, Jesus Christ is the Messiah. That he's the Savior of the world. But in the midst of doing that, he does three things that we told you are key to the gospel. That is, that you must tell everyone. And so I want to just walk through them real quickly with you, and then we're going to sort of brush through the text, because I, I got somewhere else I want to be at the end of the sermon, okay? So not, not out of the church. I mean, somewhere at the end of the sermon I want to get to, but so I'm not trying to rush to go to lunch, okay? I'm not that hungry. So when I drink that keto coffee in the morning, I can go to 2 o'clock at least. I, I mean, we can be here that long if you want to. So anyway, so, he, so here's what happens, right? So we had that promise. Listen, we had that promise of empowerment, Verses 1 through 4. Then we have that po- the promise of growing the church in verses 5 through 41. And so listen, he does this with the gospel. Look down in verse 23. The first thing he talks about, or excuse me, verse 22. I want to start there. Verse 22, listen to what he does. He goes, men of Israel, hear these words. Now listen, remember he's in the context of what they understand in their background. So some places you may have to start differently with people. You may have to, the context for your evangelism may be different. They may know nothing about the Bible. And so you have to sort of start in their context. But here he could start in the context of the Old Testament scripture. And so he brings it down and he says, men of Israel, hear these words. Listen, he says, Jesus of Nazareth, A man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst as you yourself also know. The first thing he begins to do is talk about the ministry of Jesus Christ. He says, now listen guys, you know as well as I do that Jesus, this one from Nazareth, that he walked with us three and a half years. You saw his public ministry. You know that he opened deaf ears. You know that he opened blind eyes. You know that he raised people from the dead. I mean, many of them may have even heard the story, or been there when Lazarus was called out of the tomb. He says, you know about this ministry of Jesus. And let me tell you something, he says, God authenticated the ministry of our Lord by the miracles that he did. The miracles are not why he came. He came to die and be the savior of the world for you and for me. But the miracles authenticated the fact that he was the Messiah. That that everything in the promises of the Old Testament became a reality in the work and life and ministry of Jesus Christ. And then he says something very crucial in verse 23. He says not only the ministry of Jesus, but then he says there is the death of Jesus. Remember we said the gospel is Jesus died for our sins according to the scripture. Well, listen what he says. He says him being delivered up by the predetermined purpose of God. Listen, Jesus didn't die by accident. It wasn't plan B. God didn't go, oh, well, I created the world and everything's going awry. I guess I better figure out what I'm going to do and wring wring his hands trying to come up with a plan. No, before the foundation of the world, before God even created a thing, before God spoke anything into existence, his plan, his predetermined plan and purpose was what? You and I to be saved, to be his children. Amen? Praise God for that. Praise God for that. We are his kids by his predetermined. So he says, by the pre-planned purpose of God, Jesus, notice verse 23, Jesus, he said, in the foreknowledge of God, you have taken, so God used human evil people. (laughs) You have taken by lawless hands, have crucified and put to death. Jesus died. Why did Jesus die? For their sins, according to the scripture. Paul's going to get, or Peter's going to get to that towards the end, but he died. And then what did they do? Jesus on the third day rose, notice verse 24, whom God raised up. Now I love this verse. This, This is a glory verse. Listen to the rest of that verse. Having loosed the pains of death. In other words, Death had its hands around his neck, but he 
peeled them off. There's nothing they can do. He says, because it was impossible. Some of your translations say, it was not possible that he should be held by. Listen, death couldn't grip Jesus and hold him down. Amen? Hallelujah. He came to life again. He burst forth out of the grave. Remember, they put him in a borrowed tomb. Why? Because he didn't need it very long. Amen? So Jesus came to life again. And you and I, that's the gospel we preach. And so Peter stands up and he preaches this great message. And then I want you to slip down, slip down in the verses, down to verse 38, because he brings it to a close. Listen to what happens. Verse 38. Well, let's, let's just slip back to verse 36. He says, therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. In other words, he is, he is the Messiah. He is master. He is Lord of all. And he says to him, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Remember their context. These Jews, they hear this. They're cut to the heart. (laughs) I love this. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what do we do? (laughs) Boy, God has already worked in their hearts, hasn't he? God has brought them to the brink of salvation. God has been working through this sermon. God has been working in their hearts. He's been softening that. He's been planting the seed of the gospel in that. The Holy Spirit's been bearing witness to that truth. And and, and Peter's been exposing the text of the scripture. And bam, there they are. What do we do? We're convicted. What do we do? Well, what do you do when you're convicted? Listen to verse 38. Then Peter gives the invitation. Every good preacher ought to give an invitation. Then Peter said to him, repent. And don't get it out. Don't, Don't misunderstand the text. Some of you say, Repent and let everyone be baptized. Oh, that's what we got to do. We got to repent and be baptized to be saved. That's not what he's saying. Repent and as a result of your repentance, be baptized. So repent first. That is to turn around. That is to forsake your sinful lifestyle. Forsake the way that you're trying to go to heaven and say, there's no way but Jesus. I cannot be good enough. I cannot do enough works. There's nothing I can do but call upon the name of Jesus and be saved. And I repent of my sin and say, God, I I surrender my life to you because, listen, my way is no way. And so I repent and I give my life to Christ. And he says, repent. And then as a result of that, follow through with a believer's baptism. I'm going to tell you something. Baptism meant a lot then. It doesn't mean a whole lot now. We've sort of downplayed it. But listen, baptism meant a lot because it meant you were going to identify with Jesus Christ. And you remember, they're living in a, in a persecuted society. They're living in a society that hated Jesus Christ. They put him on a cross. They wanted to get rid of this thing called the way. They, they did everything that they can do. They're living in this society by which it would be like living in a Muslim country and coming out and saying, we're going to have an open baptism in the, in the town square. And so they're identifying with Jesus Christ. And so he says, as a result, if you really mean what you're saying, then let's public profess it. Let's show the world. Let's, let's mean business. And so they are called upon to repent and to be baptized. And he says, listen, for the remissions of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promises to you, your children, and to all who are afar off, listen, as many as the Lord will call. God is calling. Surrender. Submit. Fall headlong upon Jesus today. If he's drawing you, if he's calling you, surrender to him this morning. And so, can I ask you a question? Do you, do you know how many people got saved that day? 3, the Bible says about 3,000 folks got saved that day. And, and, and you know what they did that day? They baptized them. Now, I don't know about you. <laughs> Wouldn't that just be an incredible day? 
I mean, Tim, wouldn't you just love that? I mean, we'd get so tired of standing in the baptism waters, dunking people, boom, boom, boom. You know, you're dunking people. I mean, 3,000, think about that. Isn't that, a, isn't that amazing? Does that not blow your mind? Does that not put a burden in your heart and want to see that happen here? I mean, wouldn't it be nice to baptize more than three a year? 12 a year, 15 a year? Wouldn't it be nice to be able to see 50, 60, 70 people? A hundred people saved a year being baptized. That wouldn't be a beautiful thing. It's never going to happen if we don't do what Peter did. Get out there and live a life of holiness before the, the world we, we're in and then preach the gospel. Tell people about Jesus. Because it's not enough just to live your life. Listen, if that was enough, listen, that was enough, then people would get saved by looking at nature. But nature is insufficient, Right? That natural revelation that's out there is insufficient because what people do, they start worshiping trees and they start worshiping seals and they start worshiping whales and things of that nature. So it's not enough. They need the written word. They need the, they need the gospel power, amen? Because it's the power of the gospel that is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's the power of the gospel that saves. And so your life may be, may be admired and people may be, oh, he's a good man or she's a great lady. But listen, let me tell you something that's never gonna win a single person to Jesus. What's going to win people to Jesus? You tell them the gospel. You tell them, let me tell you why I live this way. Let me tell you why my life's different. Because there's a man named Jesus who died on a cross 2,000 years ago who redeemed me, who bought me out of the slave market of sin, who kept me from going to hell. Let me tell you about him. Let me tell you how you can know him. Amen? That's what we need to be doing. That's what we need to be doing as believers in Jesus Christ. And so 3,000 people get saved. <laughs> they get baptized. Wow. How, how beautiful is that? And, and Jesus is still building his church and we can still see God doing those things right here at Level Plains right now in our church if we would just be intentional with our lives. You know, another, another word, I mean, we've been talking with, with Katie and Daniel, one of the other words that they like to use is being missional with our lives. Let's be missional. Let's talk about the mission of Christ as we go out into the world. Well, I'd love to be able to tell you that I'm done, but I'm not done yet. <laughs> That's the introduction. Because I, wa I wanted to sort of rush through that this morning to just see, let you see the, the fulfillment of what Jesus is doing, the empowerment and the growing the church. But I want you to see this morning some principles by which this early church lived by. Because here, here's what's important. What's important is Jesus is building his church, but but what does it mean to be a Jesus church? Does that make sense? What does a church look like that he's building? Because, see, the reality is there's a lot of things out there that call themselves churches. You know that, right? There, there's the universal Unitarianism church. They don't believe half of what Jesus did. <laughs> and they call themselves a church. Right here in Enterprise, if you go down Lee Street and you come to the, the, the uh, little, whatever you call that in the road, uh, where the two roads wide together, the wide the road. If you look to your left, there's a little old shack of a wide of a building. That's a Christian Science Church. Uh, they don't believe in the miracles of Jesus Christ. You know, so you know, <laughs> you can call yourself a church, but you may not be a Jesus Church. Amen. So, what does a church look like that Jesus is building? Well, I think we see a clear picture of that in the remaining verses of chapter 2, verses 42 through 
through 47. So look at them with me. I'm going to read them. They'll be on the, these will be the only ones on the screen, but listen to the text of verse 42 and 40 through 47. It says, and they continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and, he says, in prayers. He said, then fear came on every soul and many wonders and signs were done. Now, I want you to pay closely attention to this. Through the apostles. (laughs) Not everybody was doing them. Through the apostles. Now, all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all So as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, listen, verse 4, praising God and having favor, listen, with all the people, not just the church people, with all the people. They made an impact in their community. Having having favor with all the people, listen to what it says, and the Lord added... To the church daily, not weekly, not monthly, not yearly, daily, those who were being saved. Wow, that's incredible. I mean, that's just, oh my word. I, I just, I just, can I just say that's incredible? This is the kind of church that you want to be a part of. I, I, I really do think this is the kind of church you want to be a part of. That's the kind of church I want to be a part of. Amen. And so when we begin to think about that, I, I know what happens to us in this context. We, we've heard this verse so many times, whether I've preached it or you've heard other guys preach it or you did the 40 days of purpose, which sort of centers around these verses. You know, there's the 40 days of purpose for the church, 40 days of purpose for your life, you know, all this stuff. And we always talk about these verses and we want to nail it down to these five things. Well, I don't want to, I don't want to just be generic and say, well, if we just do these five things, we're going to be a great church. Because what happens is they become programs in and of themselves rather than being lifeblood, rather than being DNA of who we are. Does that make sense? So I don't want us to just say, well, let's just do these five things. I mean, we do these five things, then we're going to be this dynamic church. Well, if our heart's not right, we're not empowered by the Spirit of God, we can try to do these five things, but it's just us trying to do these five things. What we really want is the God to empower us so that we can do these five things. Now, I don't just, I'm not going to limit it to five either, okay? So don't think I'm going to limit it to five, but you get the point of what I'm trying to say. So I don't have time to deal with anything but one today, all right? So you're only going to get one today. So um, praise God. I know, you're happy, you're going to get out. And so people in nursery are even happier. So, um, so, so what do I want to focus in on first is go back to verse 42. And at, at first first phrase, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. I want you to see that they were a church, and the church of Jesus, that's really his church, will be devoted to the truth. Devoted to the truth. There's a lot of stuff out there, ladies and gentlemen. Can I just tell you? There's a lot of preachers that are saying a lot of stuff. We are more inundated, listen, with, with YouTube and iTunes and podcasts and radio programs and television. We are so inundated with information. And there's a lot of stuff that you have to be careful what you're listening to that you can filter out what is truth. And here, when we talk about being devoted to the truth, the first thing that their devotion caused them to do, listen, was to teach the truth. Did you, did you catch it in the text? 
And, and he said they were devoted, they were continuing steadfast. Listen, in the apostles' doctrine. The apostles' doctrine was the truth. And it was founded on a couple of things. <clears throat> First of all, it was founded in Old Testament Scripture. They would take the Old Testament Scripture and they would apply the prophecies and the truth of Jesus about the Messiah. They would apply that truth as Peter did at the beginning of this sermon to help people to understand in the Jewish context how Jesus really is the Messiah. But the second thing that <clears throat> apostles' doctrine included was the teachings of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Do you remember John 16, one of the power and powers of the Holy Spirit that would come is Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would lead you into all truth, but then it would also remind you of everything that I said. So there is the power of the Holy Spirit in the apostles, at least here in this text, where which he is recalling in their heart what Jesus taught them so that they now can take that information and teach it to those who are following them. So, Biblical truth of the Old Testament, the truth out of the words, out of the mouth of Jesus Christ. But then there's a third way, and that is by revelation. You look at the, the text of Acts, and you'll find out <clears throat> that Peter learned direct revelation from God by having a vision on a rooftop. So there is this direct revelation that Paul had on the road to Damascus, right? Where he spent this time with Jesus out in the desert. He got direct revelation from God. I don't believe we're doing that today. <laughs> You know why? Because I think the truth by which you and I stand on today is this book. All that God wants you to know is right here. Amen. This is the truth. This is the apostles' doctrine written down for us. Amen? By the Holy Spirit of God who are in and through the lives of those men in order that we would have a genuine uh, book that we can study that is God-breathed, God-inspired, in order that we can study and know what the truth is. And can I tell you, there's no substitute for it. And a preacher who's worth his salt, a preacher who will really earn his salary, will be a preacher who stands up in the pulpit and opens up his Bible, doesn't just read a verse and go on, but will take his time and tell you what that verse means and begin to exegete the truth of the Word of God to the people of God. That's what a preacher ought to do. And if a preacher is just telling you poems and if it's just making you feel good and you want to just go home feeling good because you've heard pop psychology today, then you are in the wrong church. Amen? Because that will get you nowhere. You can try to have your best life now, but I tell you, if you have it now, you won't have it then. Amen? Because my Bible says you love the world and the things of the world. Jesus ain't in you. Jesus is not in you. I'm sorry. He's not in you. And so he says to us, Camp on the truth. No substitute for truth. No self-help. No sermonettes are ever going to help you to be what God wants you to be. And I tell you something. Listen, I boldly and unapologetically tell you that I'm going to preach the truth. And if I ever stop preaching the truth, fire me. Put me somewhere else. I pray that I'll resign before that happens. But put me somewhere else. Put me out the pasture because that's all I'll be good for if I quit preaching the truth. Because listen, it's about the truth. And if I know my wife the way it is, she'll put me out the pasture. So anyway, <laughs> she won't let me get up here and preach on truth because she knows that my heart truly is about wanting to preach the truth. And I'm going to tell you that's the primary duty of my ministry is to preach the truth. It's not to wait on tables. It's not to make you feel good. It's not to meet every demand or expectation that you have of me. It's to preach the Bible. Because if we neglect this, listen, if I spend all my time meeting all the demands of everybody in the church, I'll never have time to study the word. 
If I don't have time to study the word and pray over the word, guess what, David? I can't come out with a message. I can't preach because I'll have nothing to say. How horrible would that be to come to church and hear a preacher who has nothing to say? Can I tell you, I've been in those situations. I've been in situations where I've sat and listened to preachers preach at a conference or some other place who was ill-prepared, and it was miserable. It was miserable. I didn't learn anything from him. It was miserable because he wasn't prepared. He didn't pray. He didn't have a, have a sermon point. It was miserable. And all he did was repeat himself. One point, over and over. Repeat, repeat, repeat. You ever been there? Amen? It's like a broken record. You know, if I want to hear that, I'll, I'll pull out a record. It's got a big old scratch on it and listen to it over and over again, okay? So I don't want to do that. So preach the word. Paul, over and over again, reminded Timothy, reminded Titus that the ministry is about preaching the word. That's the priority of the pastor. Preach the word. The church that Jesus blesses, listen, the church that Jesus is building is a church that is devoted to the truth. The teaching of the truth, but listen, also listen, you listening? Responding to the truth. See, because I can stand up here and preach all day long, and I'd love to do that. I just wish y'all would stay here till one, two o'clock. That'd be fun. But listen, the reality is you won't because you can't endure it because we're in such a, a fast-paced generation. The only thing we can, we, we talk about we can't listen to a sermon for an hour, but I tell you, I can wa- watch a Marvel film for three, amen? Uh, I can watch Alabama play for three. Uh, so we, we really do what we want to do, amen? So, so the reality is, you know, we, we play all these games all, you know, I've heard, you know, the, the mind will only absorb what the seat can endure. I've, I've heard all those great things, but I, I can tell you right now, I, I, I've been to a lot of things in my life that were miserable that lasted more than an hour. Can I just tell you, I endured it. Why? Because I had to. <laughs> Amen? But here at church, we get to. We get to hear the most awesome word ever. It's called the Bible. And so here he says that what we ought to do is we ought to respond to the word. It's not good enough for the preacher to preach it. We've got to respond to it. So how do we, how do we respond to the word? Well, the word here, use it. Let's look, look at the text. They continued steadfastly. Those two words make up really a participle in the Greek. It's a one word Greek participle that simply means devotion. They were devoted to the word. They were devoted to this apostle. So we got to be devoted to the word of God. Devoted means, listen, devoted means I'm devoted to my wife. That means there's nobody else that I'm looking at. (laughs) There's, There's nobody else that I want more than her in my bed. Are you with me? That's pretty plain English. I mean, I don't know how else to put it, but, but devotion. We got to be devoted, amen? I'm devoted to Marina. I made a vow 30-something years ago. I'll be 33 this year in about a month and a half. I stood in an altar and I made a promise to her. And I've kept that promise. And I'm going to keep that promise till I die because I'm devoted. Here he says, be devoted to the word. You and I need to devote ourselves to the word. So how do we do that? Well, let me give you four things and I'm, I'm gonna wind it off. Here we go. Number one, by hearing the truth. You ought to put yourself in positions by which you can hear the truth of the word of God. That means, listen, that means coming to church. Can I just tell you statistically? Statistically, right now, here's how it is. Those who are members of a church who are supposed to be faithful, active members of the church, statistically only attend a church twice a month. How in the world can you be an active member of a church, know what's going on in that church, participate in that church, minister in that church, if you only come twice a month? 
You're certainly not putting yourself in a position by hearing the word of God. Oh, I, I listen to Charles Stanley. Well, bless God. Next time you go in the hospital, call Charles Stanley. Amen? Yeah, I just said it. I mean, y'all act like, you know, did he just say that? I just said it. But can I even be more direct than that? We can listen to David Platt. We can listen to all those guys. And they preach far better than I'll ever preach. Praise God. I'm thankful for those guys. And I listen to some of those guys myself. But can I tell you that what God does through the local pulpit is God takes the word of God and he tailors it to your heart. See, they're preaching to everybody in their congregation. They're tailoring their message to their people. They say, oh, it's all universal. Well, bless God, some of it is, but some of it's not. Amen? Some guy, sometimes God wants to say something specific at Level Plains that you're not going to get from David Platt. Or you're not going to get from so-and-so who's out there. I'm just going to be honest with you. That's the truth. So you need to put yourself in a position where you can hear the word of God. You say, well, bless God, I'll hear it from somebody else. Well, go ahead and do it. I don't care. I'm not going to lose any sleep. I'm still going to eat six eggs this afternoon and ten pieces of bacon because I want a keto diet. (laughs) Second of all, listen, it's not enough to hear it. James says we got to receive it. Amen? You got to be a receiver of the word. So be receptive to the truth. Don't put up the guard and say, well, he ain't preaching to me today. <laughs> you know, I, I, I appreciate Please don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. I, I love and appreciate your appreciation of me. I really do. It humbles me. And when people go out and they say, hey, man, that, that's just, you know, great sermon today or whatever. Uh, listen, I love that. I mean, I, I, what human wouldn't? Amen? Uh, so I have to be careful. I don't want to get the big head. I can't get out the door that kind of, if I wait. But, but the reality is... The greatest compliment is, is when somebody takes that word and doesn't say, you know what, preacher, I, I wish so-and-so was here to hear it. But they say, you know, I needed that. And I received it. That's the greatest compliment is when you know that God's speaking to you. And you say, you know what, I received that. And sometimes that's, that's a glowing thing. Sometimes it's like, you know, God, that, he's right. You do love me. That's amazing. But sometimes it's like, you know, God, I, I did let in a wholesome word come out of my mouth today. And that is wrong. And Lord, I want you to forgive me. And, you know, God, I'm not sharing my faith like I need to. God, would you help me? Would you empower me? Would you help me be intentional with sharing my faith this way? Listen, we got to be ready to receive it. Thirdly, we need to study it. Don't wait just for the preacher on Sunday morning. Amen. Amen. Open the Bible up daily and ask God to speak to you. It's his word after all. I heard one guy say, if you want to hear God speak audibly, read the word to yourself out loud. (laughs) Amen. It's God's word. Fourthly, practice the truth. Can I tell you, that's where we fall short. We love to hear it. We love to go to classes about it. We love to learn all these things. But listen, practice it. It does not become reality in your life until you put feet to it. As a matter of fact, James would say it this way. Don't be hearers only. Because you know what happens to hearers only? They deceive themselves. Like a man who looks at a mirror and then when he walks off, he forget what manner of man he was, the Bible says. See, we forget we're Jesus followers when we don't stay in the word every day because it's through the word of God that he reminds me of that. So get in the word of God. Practice it. There's no substitute for it. Amen? So that's all I got for today. But isn't it interesting that he starts at the very beginning of saying, this is what a church looks like that Jesus builds. It's a church that's devoted to my word. No substitute, friends, for God's word. So what do we do? Here's the invitation today. I wrote it down so I wouldn't forget. 
Number one, the invitation is for you, the believer, those who call themselves by the name of Jesus, to be devoted to the word of God. Is there any area in your life for which you're not? Is there any area in your life where you're not practicing the truth? That's what devotion is all about. Are you, are you studying God's word every day? Remember I told you a few weeks ago, it's not about checking a block. Oh, I studied the word. Hallelujah. No, it's about spending time with God. And sometimes that's one verse for me. Sometimes that's a chapter. I don't try to rush through my devotion times and read 15 chapters a day. That just doesn't work for Mike Foreman. But sometimes God will speak to me through a half a verse. But if I go into my devotion prayerfully and just begin to pray and say, God, I'm going to read the word today. I want to be devoted to this truth. Will you speak to me? God will speak. He does. He, he holds that promise out and he'll do it. Secondly, to you who are believers, will you devote yourself not only to this truth, but will you devote, devote yourself to tell this truth through the gospel of Jesus Christ? Will you tell those family members, those friends, those coworkers, those who serve you, will you tell them about Jesus' love and how it radically changed your life? And then lastly, there's some of you here today, you need Jesus in your life. And perhaps as I've been preaching the gospel, I've been telling you about the, the love of the Savior, who, listen, bore your sin, your sin debt in his own flesh on the cross of Calvary. That's why he died for your sins, according to the scriptures, because your sins have separated you from a holy God. And there's no way to remedy that separation. You can't be good enough. You can't go to church. You can't do good works. You can't give enough money. There's nothing you can do. Religion won't do it. There's nothing you can do. Only, only Jesus can do the work. And he's already done it on the cross of Calvary, dying for you, shedding his blood to wash away your sin. Praise the holy name of Jesus. He rose on the third day. And the Bible says, a big long word, he did that to justify you. Simply what that means is to make you right with God. And if God is knocking on your heart this morning, if you are, if you are right now, but the spirit of God is saying, you need this Jesus. Listen, that's not coincidence. That's not accident. That's what we talked about by the predetermined plan of God from eons ago. He was going to bring you to a place where he would mill your heart over and he would begin to rake it over to make it soft ground so the seed of the gospel can come in, that it can begin to grow and you could be saved. I wonder today if that's you and you would repent of your sin and put your faith in Christ. And if that's you, you can do that right where you sit. But I sure would love to know about it so that we can help you. And if you don't know how to do that, come see me. I'd be glad to talk to you how exactly you can know Jesus Christ is your Savior this morning. Let's pray. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.